Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be back with you all, and I was just thinking here, talking about how to have a good fight, looking at the football team over here. If one breaks out, I want to be on you, your side, okay? Now, we're, um, we're finishing a five-part series on, as a congregation, preparing for your new pastor, and it was about three weeks ago, I think, that we talked about part one of how to have a good fight. Don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll do a quick review in case you forgot those those two principles, and then uh, we'll dive into this here today. Um, Elaine and I would just like to tell you, we will be praying along with you as you prepare for that important affirmation vote here in a couple of weeks, and uh, just confident that as God has been leading, so he will lead as you come to this uh, important uh, turning point in uh, the life and history of Bethany Grace Fellowship. Okay, so how to have a good fight, part two. We want to be looking at Ephesians chapter four. I'll have the verses up here on the screen, but welcome you to follow along in your own Bible uh, or one of the pew rack Bibles there in front of you. And we want to always be sure that what the person up front is telling you is actually coming from the Bible, right? So we're inviting you to say, check it out for yourself. Make sure you see this in the text. Um, Anytime a, a pastor preaches, he, he wants people to come and say, I, I see that. I see what you showed me in the text. That makes sense, right? If, if, if you would come up to a pastor after he preached and said, wow, I don't know how you got that out of that text. That's really amazing how you interpret. Uh, that would not be good news, okay, uh, for a preacher of the gospel. So uh, check out what we're talking about as we go through the text itself. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing as we look at the Word of God. Father, thank you that uh, through the um, foolishness of preaching, as your word describes it, uh, you are calling the lost to yourself. And thank you for the, uh, the beautiful story we just saw of how one life faithfully proclaiming the truth to another begins a whole chain of events that takes the gospel to places we might never have the opportunity to go ourselves. So we pray that you would help us to be faithful in the sharing of our testimony of what you've done in our lives with those that you bring into contact with us. And Lord, I pray your blessing as we look into your word, as we study these principles of communicating through conflict, uh, may it become very obvious to us that only through the Spirit of God in our lives, through the gospel of Christ, are we able to communicate as your people in a way that's pleasing to you. We ask you to work through your spirit and your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Ronald Reagan is reported to have said, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. And I guess that's what we're really talking about here in Ephesians 4, peaceful ways of dealing with conflict when it arises. And as we said a few weeks ago, anytime you get two humans in a room, in a relationship, uh, eventually there's going to be some kind of conflict, some kind of disagreement. Uh, Unfortunately, church congregations uh, are somewhat well known for not handling conflict well. In my Baptist upbringing, there are many towns that have a First Baptist and a Second Baptist and a New Hope Baptist and a New Beginnings Baptist Church, uh, all a testimony to the fact that we're not really good at peacefully handling conflict. 
Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, this was the life lesson, and this is the whole idea here in Ephesians 4, is that the way we handle conflict when it comes up is uh, both the means whereby we grow to become more mature in Christ, but it's the measure of how we are doing, right? So a person who says, I consider myself to be a faithful, mature Christian who handles conflict with anger out of control or deception or one of these other things that Paul is calling us to avoid, uh, your actions are belying your, your testimony of your words. It's the means and the measure. Now, three weeks ago, we talked about these first two principles. The first one, first rule is we always have to speak the truth in love. And you remember, I'll just review real quickly without re-preaching the sermon. Speaking the truth in love requires that I speak. I can't clam up and run away from conflict. I have to speak. When I speak, I have to speak truthfully from my perspective, as far as I understand things, saying the truth, even though the truth might be hard for the other person to hear, which brings the third point here. We have to speak the truth in a loving way. So both uh, the words that we're choosing, the tone of our voice as we're communicating, and even our, our body language, the expression on my face, uh, the, uh, the posture of my body as I'm speaking, speaking the truth in love, and thereby, the text says, we grow in every way, more and more like Christ. The second principle we, we, we looked at was that we are to address issues quickly, because problems don't go away. Problems have babies, all right? Problems uh, do not resolve themselves, and so the, the command here, don't let your anger control you But before the sun goes down each day, address the problems that have come up in your life uh, in terms of conflict in that day. Remember this chart? We talked about how anger can get out of the bounds. Uh, So either to the left and a volcano exploding, that's one way we sin with anger. And then to the right, taking all that same energy and and, um, power of anger, and instead of turning it loose on the environment around me, I turn it loose on my own body by bottling it up and holding it inside, clamming up, so to speak. So either of those extremes, blowing up or clamming up, are ways that we sin with anger. Instead, we are in a controlled way to release the energy of anger toward the problem. And that brings us right to the third principle, and it's going to come out of Ephesians 4, 29 to 30, and this is very important. We are to attack the problem, not the person that I'm in conflict with. Listen to the text here, Ephesians 4, verse 29. Paul says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say Be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So you heard those two admonitions there, right? Don't do this speech that tears down foul or abusive language, but instead the kind of speech that encourages people. Now, when we hear that that encouragement, don't use foul speech. What's the first thing you think of? Well, the first thing I think of is four-letter words, and, you know, every culture has its own curse words, right? English, 
Russian, Chinese, every culture has its own curse words. And, and certainly, I think Paul is saying as, as followers of Christ, we should avoid cursing using language that's culturally inappropriate or indelicate, certainly taking God's name in vain, but actually, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. It's a certain kind of foul or uh, wrong speech, and actually the, the, the translation here, abusive language, that's getting at the idea, okay? So the contrast here is the kind of speech that builds up or encourages This is the kind of speech that does the opposite. It tears down, it discourages, it makes the person you're talking to feel less like working at becoming the kind of person God wants them to be. And what I'm saying here is, this is the kind of words and the kind of language that instead of talking about the problem, something the person did or said or failed to do or failed to say that they should have, you instead of talking about their action, you talk about them as a person. You attack their character. Here's what it might sound like, okay? You think a person told you a lie, and you begin the conversation by, with a finger pointing in their face, you're a liar, (laughs) okay? Now, the truth is the person may have told you a lie, But imagine yourself in this situation. If I come in on you with, you're a liar, how does that make you feel? Like we're going to begin this conversation about a problem, and you've already, judge and jury, accused me and convicted me, and I haven't even had a chance to talk to you about what it is that you have a problem about, right? You're a liar. What what essentially I'm saying is, If you, in any situation, had a choice between telling the truth and telling a lie, you know what you would do? You would tell a lie. Why? Because you're a liar. In other words, this is your character. This is who you are as a person. You see, yeah, but what if they did tell you a lie and you've got to talk to them about that? Well, hang on just a minute. We'll get there. Or you're lazy, right? I was tempted many times when my three boys were growing up and looking at their bedroom that I had asked them to clean up, I was very tempted to say something like this, you guys are just lazy, right? Instead of talking about you didn't do what I asked you to do to pick up your room, to clean your room, at least maybe I should have been more definitive what clean your room looks like. It's not just push everything under the bed and run the vacuum and we're all good, right? No, it's, uh, instead I'm talking about you as a person. You are a lazy person, right? You don't care. You don't care about fill in the blank, right? It's making a comment about them as a person, their character, or this is the real button pusher here, right? You're just like your father or your mother or your brother or whoever it is we're comparing them to. We're making a statement about them as a person, Right? That's the kind of speech that tears a person down. There's an old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. That is not true. (laughs) If you grew up in a home where words were used to attack you, to attack you as a person, to describe your character, you know that is not true. Words hurt. Words leave marks. Words leave wounds. 
Many people go through life with phrases like this lodged in their memories from someone attacking them instead of talking about the problem. Because in each one of these cases, they may have indeed told a lie. Humans do that. They, they may have exhibited <laughs> a lack of uh, industry and self-starting initiative, right? They, they, they may have, have indicated that they really are not as caring about this issue. And they may indeed be modeling themselves after a pattern of someone else in their life. So how do we, how do we bring up the problem without attacking their character? So Paul goes on to say, uh, don't use this kind of language, but instead... Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement. Think about that. When I finish this conversation with the person I'm in conflict with, the end result of that conversation should be that person feels more encouraged about doing or saying the right thing. They feel more excited about doing the will of God in their life. Uh, the King James says uh, that we, our words should be that which is good for edifying. We get our English word edifice or building. So it's the idea of, of building up. And it actually says for the, for the need, right? It's kind of a literal for the need. Like what need? Well, the need of that individual person and the need of the moment, the appropriate thing for that moment in their life, what is it they need to hear to help them identify something that truly is a problem in their life, but in such a way that they are encouraged to do something about it, uh, to grow in Christ? Let me give you a quote and have you think about this. Accusations harden the will, but questions prick the conscience. Steve, may I use you as an illustration? I'll put myself in the illustration with you, okay? Uh, let's say that I come to Brother Steve here and I say, uh, I, I tell Steve something on Monday, and then uh, later in the week he's talking to one of you, and you tell him that I told you something that's completely different than what I told Steve. And uh, Steve comes back to me and says to me, hey, I just talked to Jonathan, you, Sam, you're a liar, okay? If he starts with that, what's going to tend to happen in that conversation, you know, I'm doing this backwards. I meant to use myself as the bad example. I'm using you as the bad example. <laughs> but, but, but I told the liar. <laughs> <laughs> I told the lie in the story, okay? All right. So anyway, if he comes in with, you're a liar, he's talking about me as a person. Here's what happens in terms of communication between us. The walls go, mm, Steve, get away from me. You are not a safe person, right? I do not feel affirmed in your presence. And so the opportunity for us to continue any kind of a conversation is probably out the door, Right? Accusations harden the will. Yeah, I know, I did tell a lie, but I don't want to talk to this guy about it, right? But what if Steve instead came in with a question? Hey, Sam, do you remember Monday night when we were talking on the phone? You told me that 
you couldn't come to the Garden Spot football game to help us serve concessions because you had to work at LBC. Do you remember saying that? And I say, yes, I, I did say that. He's not accused me of anything. He just asked me a question, right? I did say that. Well, he goes on, Sam, I was talking to Jonathan, and he said, as he was talking to you about whether you were going to attend the Garden Spot football game to work in the concession stand, you told him you were going fishing with your friend instead of going to help at the Garden Spot football game. Jonathan said you told him that, right? So you're a liar. No, no. Then he would say, then he would say, did you say that to Jonathan? Because maybe Jonathan misheard me, right? He's just asking a question. He's not accusing me of anything. And I would say, yes, I did say that to Jonathan, okay? Now Steve can say, okay, then you're a liar. No, he cannot say that. We're still using questions. Sam, it appears to me that you either told a lie to me or to Jonathan. Did you tell one of us a lie? Okay. Do you see the difference in approach? Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but if I'm you, I feel the noose coming in around my neck. (laughs) I know, you're coming after me. But you're not coming after me as a person. You're talking to me about something I said or did. And here's the truth. Jonathan may have misheard me, or I may have, my plans may have changed during the week. Like I I was going to work at LBC, but then something else happened, and I forgot about the hot dog stand at the Garden Spot football game, and instead I went fishing, okay? If, If that's the case, I will, in that environment, be able to explain to Steve, right? But you see, it's a very different scenario than, you're a liar, right? So often we are so convinced that we're right, We come in to talk about a problem and we wind up attacking the person instead of addressing the problem. I I did remind you two weeks ago and I forgot, three weeks ago and I forgot to remind you this week. During this message, no elbowing or pointing to other people around you, right? So like, this is all about us listening to ourselves and our own struggles in this regard. Every time Elaine and I do this this teaching in any setting, we always feel fingers pointing back at ourselves, like, oh, this is so hard, right, to, to, to get this. It's so much easier just to say, well, you're lazy, right? Now, it takes a lot of effort and thought to speak in a way that is, ta- that is separating the actions of the person from them as a person. Okay, so we've got speak truth, address issues quickly, attack the problem, not the people, And now let's go to the last one here. Rule number four, we should respond in grace, not react, not get revenge. Listen to verse 31 and 32. Oh, by the way, I did not read verse 30. This is very important. Let me read verse 30, okay? I missed a really important point here. Look what it says, verse 30. Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So he's talking about when a person believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior, 
just like those folks in that video we watched, that actually the Spirit of God comes to live inside of them, and their life is now being changed by the power of God's Spirit in us, and that actually, he says, this, this proves the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Spirit of God has emotions. The Spirit of God grieves. And here, verse 30, you make him sad when you do this. Okay? Now, when I was growing up in the Midwest, listening to some fiery sermons from youth pastors about you know, the way we were living in our local public high school. I remember lots of sermons about don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't make him sad, but it was always about dancing and drinking and rock music and going with girls that do, right? That kind of stuff. That's what it was. And like, if you do these certain things, you you know, the Holy Spirit's going to be... Paul is not talking... I mean, that's probably good advice, right? (laughs) Most of that stuff. Paul's not talking about any of that. He's talking about attacking people with our words instead of talking about the problem. He's talking about the way we speak in conflict. That's what is making the Holy Spirit grieve here. That was an important point, right? Glad I didn't forget to say that. Now, let's go on. The last principle here. Look at verse 31 and 32, and as I read this verse, verse 31... I want you to think about, there's a whole grocery list of terms here. I want you to think about what do all of these words have in common, okay? Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, So there's, again, two admonitions in these two verses. The first one is for us to get rid of these kinds of expressions. Now, here's the question. What do these have in common? Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Just think about that for a moment. If I was in a class at LBC, I would have you turn to your neighbor and discuss this a little bit, and then we, but we're not in a class at LBC. So just think about that quietly. What do they all have in common? And if you really settle down and think hard about these, you'll, you'll notice a couple things. One, every one of these words in the original language especially, and I realize we're not looking at that right now, but every one is just a different expression or a different way of being angry, a different form of anger, okay? The word bitterness, anytime you see the word bitterness in the New Testament, all it's talking about is if you go back to the anger chart, it's not the volcano side, it's the clam-up side, right? It's, it's anger that's, that's harbored on the inside of me, right? And Paul says, uh, get rid of that because no good is going to come from it. And then the next word, rage. Now, this is the, I'll I'll say a Greek word for you here. It's the Greek word, thumos. Okay? Kind of sounds like the volcano picture, right? And that's exactly what it is. This is anger on the inside that suddenly, boom, it explodes onto the outside. And there's public quarreling and public anger and public calling each other liars and all of that. This is anger exploding on the outside. 
The third word, anger, obviously that's a form of anger, but this is the kind, this word means this. It means uh, uh, you hurt me, but I'm just going to smile at you. I'm very angry at you right now, but you're not going to know that. I'm just going to smile at you. I'm going to treat you kindly. And one of these nights in a dark alley, when you're not expecting it, I'm going to get you, right? I'm going to get my revenge, but I'm going to do it in a very strategic sort of a way. And Paul says, uh, yeah, that's not going to help us as Christians. Get rid of that too. Harsh words, right back to the you're lazy, you're a liar, etc. And slander. Slander is the desire. It's like, I'm, I'm saying words intended to hurt another person and attack their reputation. <laughs> I mean, all you got to do is read the newspapers recently, right, for like the last couple of years to have many, many examples of how this works in our political system. And here's Paul saying all that stuff, it's all forms of anger. And here's the second thing that is equally true about all of these things. This is an important issue. All of them are a reaction to someone else's sin. All right? In other words, you didn't start it. You got poked in the eye by somebody else. And we're reacting back. When our boys were young, by the way, my boys would give me blanket permission to use them as illustrations, right, for, for, for sermons. Um, but in this particular one. There were many times where somebody was angry at someone else in our boys growing up. And when we began to address the person that, you know, the parent only sees the one who most recently did the bad action, right? That's the one you catch. And as you start talking to that one, often they would say, yeah, I know, I got angry and I gave him a left hook, okay? But, here it comes, he made me angry, okay? He, he sinned first, and that was completely true, <laughs> okay? And we would correct our son saying, oh, wait, 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 no, okay, yeah, he sinned first, we'll get to that, right? I'm the parent, you're the kid, I'll get to the second, I'll do the parent thing for them too, but right now I'm talking about yours, right? Yeah, he, he sinned first, but he didn't make you angry. This anger that is a good gift from God you chose to use it in a sinful, harmful way. That left hook isn't helping solve anything, right? Years ago, a fellow wrote a book called Your Reactions Are Showing, just a tiny little pamphlet. And he used two illustrations in the pamphlet about how the sins of others bring out what's really inside of us. He used the illustration of a lemon, that's the first one, and of a tea bag. All right, let me just give you this real quick. So you squeeze a lemon, squeeze the juice out of it, put it in a cup, and you drink it down, and it turns your face inside out. It's so bitter and sour. And a person says, I must have squeezed that lemon too hard. I made it sour. You drop a tea bag into hot water, and this clear water turns a dark color immediately, and a person says, ah, oh, I made the water too hot. It made the tea brown. Right, you're saying, where's this going? Well, where it's going is, the tea was already brown, the lemon was already sour, the squeeze, the pressure of the moment brought out what was inside, the heat of the circumstance only brought out what was on the inside. So for me to say, you made me, 
is really misleading. No, the pressure and the heat of life conflict brings out what's already inside of us. And it's an opportunity for us to acknowledge and grow in our, in our own walk with the Lord. So instead of, Paul says, get rid of these. Don't, don't react. So you're not only responsible for your actions, we're actually responsible for our reactions. And, in, and the truth is, we don't have any control over what comes out of, at us in life, be it abuse or, or any other sin that's committed against us. We have no control over what comes at us. We have all control by God's help over what comes out of us. And Paul is calling us here, yeah, that, it's our responsibility with God's help. Now look at the, the last verse here, and then we're done shortly. Verse 32. So instead of doing those things, what are we to do? Listen to this. Instead, 32, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That is, think about what Paul is telling us here. Someone pokes you in the eye. They sin against you. They do something unfair and harmful to you. And everything in you wants to do rage, anger, bitterness, harsh words, slander. That's what's wanting to come out of you. And Paul says, no, instead, here's what you do. Be kind It doesn't mean I don't talk to him about the problem. It means the way in which I do that, there's a kindness being communicated. The second word really gets me. Be tender-hearted. Literally, in the Greek, it says, have good guts toward them. Pardon my indelicacy here. Good-gutted. In other words, at the deepest down place in my being, from that deep inside place, the place that turns to ice water when I'm really afraid, or the place that turns to heat when I get really angry, deep down in my gut, what should be emanating from there is goodness, love, desire to bless the person who just poked me in the eye. And further, he says, be forgiving. Think about this. What what forgiveness means is God. when God forgives us, Jeremiah 31, he says this, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. It's what we were all celebrating about and singing earlier when, we were, when the worship team was leading us. I've been forgiven. The chains are broken. Yeah, God makes a promise not to bring our sins up again when we have trusted Christ as Savior. And now he says, I want you to do that to other people. And always remember this. The motivation is that's what God did for you. You didn't deserve it but he showed kindness and goodness and forgiveness to you. Now, both as the motivation and the means, that Spirit of God living in you, this is only supernaturally pulled off, right, will empower you to break all human expectation when people poke you in the eye by responding with kindness, truth, goodness, and willingness to forgive And that's only possible, only possible through the grace and the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me put the four principles up here again, the life lesson. This this is the measure of how we're doing spiritually, and it's the way we grow. 
Let's just close with a moment of just silent, personal reflection. Which one of these four would you say, this is the one I need to really pay some attention to and, and grow in? Now, obviously, I've been illustrating and thinking more in terms of my own individual relationships and in, within our family, etc. But this, this works for church families too, and particularly in times when church families have some disagreement or some conflict, right? So again, don't think about the person behind you or three rows in front of you. Think about your own practice. Which one of these would I say, man, I need to work on that one, right? And as we close, uh, just a reminder if you don't know Christ as your Savior, um, you can try to work on these, but you, you're going to fail. You're going to fail because ultimately, humanly speaking, there's no way we can do this. But, but for those who know Christ as Savior, you've trusted Christ with the sin issue in your life, the Spirit of God now gives you the power to actually live this way in progressively complete ways. None of us are perfect that's heaven, right? When we're all perfect, then that's heaven. But he's empowering us, but he's revealing to us, hey, you need to work on number three. <laughs> number one is the one you need to give some attention to. So let's just, as God's people, as we close, I'm going to close in prayer, uh, just reflect on this personally and, and ask the Lord's grace to help us as his people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that uh, in your word, uh, you both reveal our sin and our shortcomings, and in your grace, you, you grant us forgiveness and grant us the power, really, to change. And so, Lord, I would pray uh, for any of my friends here today, anyone that doesn't yet have complete assurance in their heart that they are your child, that their sins have been forgiven, that they have trusted Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would just be at work in, in their heart, whispering to them of the truth of the message of the gospel, their need to acknowledge Christ as Savior and Lord, so that they might have the opportunity to grow and change in these ways. And for all of us, Lord, your people, uh, may you grant humility. There may be some husbands uh, that need to ask your forgiveness for the way they've spoken to their families and then uh, go to their families and humbly seek forgiveness. And children to parents and parents to children and wives to husbands and members to other members here at Bethany Grace. Lord, we all fail so often in one or more of these categories. So please, May your spirit work. May your spirit show us that area where we need to keep growing and changing. And may your spirit grant us humility and grace to take those steps. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.